this shit sound like two in the morning Bowser's castle and shit Welcome back, folks, to the next edition of Black Hoodie Alchemy. As always, I'm your host, Anthony Tyler. I uh, hope you enjoyed last week. I feel like this is uh, going to be... I didn't even uh, line this up intentionally, really, although maybe subconsciously. But um, uh, last round, the first time, Eric Millar was on the show, who is with us now. Uh, Martin Ferretti came on the next episode, and now we, uh, we did a little switcheroo. So Eric coming off of the heels of Martin, and I don't know what it is, if uh, subconsciously intentional or not, but you guys, you guys definitely, I would love to hear a conversation between the two of you be a fly on the wall. You guys would get along real well. Um, and this uh, is perfect context. Um, you don't need to listen to the last episode to get this one, but uh, the the groundwork we laid with trying to dissect Jung's existential crises um, and the processes he went through to get to the heart of those crises. Um, so it's really the outer limits of existentialism, um, at least in my opinion. And um, Eric Millar, he, uh, he is no stranger to the outer limits of existentialism. He's uh, th- my favorite way that he has described himself um, that I tend to describe him in affectionately is the garbage wizard. I love that. I love that lingo, man. Um, the idea of the mundane and the simple and even the discarded, um, it's all a matter of perspective and scale and context. You know, one man's trash is another man's treasure. And in many ways, you know, I guess you could say that the counterculture in and of itself, uh, those parts that are not uh, socially engineered, um, they are sort of the discarded um, from the the rest of the culture. And you and me, I think, without pigeonholing ourselves, we're definitely not, uh, we definitely don't have mainstream sentiments. So, um, and this, uh, I was telling you earlier, I really got the vibe in this uh, this work, Assemblage of Disparate Parts, which we'll get into soon, um, that you were like, it was kind of in your own unique way, of course, you have your own voice, but it kind of had that like Tyler Durden-ish vibe, except like on a good day, like it kind of reminded me of uh, of the beginning or, you know, towards the beginning of the movie when um, Ed Norton and Brad Pitt are sitting in the bar after uh, Ed Norton's uh, apartment explodes. And he's just kind of, uh, you know, in a downward spiral about all the things that he acquired. And and Brad Pitt, he's being a nice guy. He's actually being pretty friendly, but it's just like trashing this guy. He's like, why do you care about any of this? This is all bullshit. Like your entire life is bullshit. <laughs> Let's keep drinking. And, you know, and that's... um that's kind of the vibe of the show too. That's how I like to try and approach things. And um, yeah, so let's, let's get into your latest work a little more because um, you, you bring up like a, a philosophy of collage essentially and how that relates to your relationship to existence itself, you know, your perceptions of existentialism. And I think that's a good starting point. Uh, would you like to get into that a little bit? Oh, yeah, like, um, as far as I can see, like, life is essentially, like, a gigantic, like, collage, essentially, that we are, we're building ourselves out of disparate pieces and attempting to make a picture that makes some sort of sense in an absurd world, and collage kind of is the perfect metaphor for, for 
every part of life, basically. Yeah, you know, I was I was even talking with Martin about this last week. Um, the term that I have only recently come across, uh, ethnomethodology. And I, um, I, I came across that in an, an interview with Nathan Fielder, who's a Canadian comedian. He's, mm. he, he does like prank comedy um, where he, he sets up business um, ventures with small businesses and gives them crazy, he's super awkward on purpose and gives them crazy ideas that uh, to try and drum up business. And some of them are so crazy. They're actually successful. Like a, like a, a realtor he convinces to sell 100% ghost free homes actually works out pretty well for, <laughs> um, and, uh, and then uh, way dumber stuff too. But um, he said in an interview, cause he's friends with Sasha Baron Cohen. And, um, and I'm just, I've always been fascinated by that idea of you give someone a cartoonishly comedic character but you don't tell the, you don't tell them explicitly that it's a character, but it's so cartoonish and over the top that just the act of the character being there should be indication enough. But people just bite down on it instead. And then you learn a lot about character study and psychology and even sociology by finding how people react in these um, just <laughs> weird situations, essentially. And Nathan Fielder said in the interview, his mother likes to say what he does is ethnomethodology. And that basically is like the opposite of sociology from everything I've been reading. Whereas mainstream sociology considers this all just a sort of clockwork framework. We're all moving with the path of least resistance. Um, you know, common sense and our common social interactions are not so standardized and they're actually on a case by case basis, uh, a case by case basis, and we're all sort of implicitly going through these agreements with each other. Like, okay, this is going to be the way to act in this setting. This is going to be the way to act in this setting, and it's all um, much harder to pinpoint. And it all just gets a lot more meta, essentially, uh, because we have to look into what motivates people instead of um, um, what is uh, like what they're reacting to so much and um it it boils down to essentially people using like the uh different metrics for which they gauge existence like time their relationships with people all these things are not standardized uh they're mm -hmm. uh they can be very similar you know especially considering archetypes and psychology we have similar patterns but they're certainly not uh the minutiae of everyone's individual lives is absolutely not standardized and it gets more and more complex and the idea of like collage philosophy the collage of your life like i think there's no better way to put it really oh yeah yeah and yeah we are we're all just kind of like ill-fitted pieces put together we, we don't really yeah there's no standardization it's not just like we're not the metric system we're we're not even a system at all <laughs> yeah right if anything, the whole point, I think, is to try and systematize this chaos that we have inside of us. Yeah. Um, so I think that that's really well put. Um, and um, I wanted to talk a little bit about, you know, get into the meat of some of this here. Um, I, I really found it powerful um, in in like certainly not a pulpit sort of way. It was very you know, just down to earth, you were able to talk about some of the, the, um, I wouldn't even call them issues. Some of the, the hurdles you have had in, um, trying to fit yourself as a sort of 
um, offbeat, experimentational, intellectual, uh, try to just blend in with the world around you because I can very much relate to that. Um, and it's been, it took, you know, there was a period of my life where I didn't even really, I kind of had like an unspoken rule where I just didn't even talk about myself. I've, I've, I was very depersonalized because of things that had happened. And I, uh, just didn't really see myself as much of anything. And that was a little, um, um, what's the word I'm looking for? It was a little, you know, like masochistic, but it, 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 mm-hmm. it not implicitly, like not as a, um, not as a starting point. It was more so just an indifference and just wanting to blend in because I was just tired of feeling like I was a sore thumb. But then eventually you get to that point where you're a ghost almost. Yeah. Yeah. And there's a, there's a little section in the book where it's, it's, uh, I talk about how I developed a system to basically disappear and it was kind of the, the same, uh, the same system of like the CAA having uh, the gray man where it's a person that is so bland and so unassuming that nobody sees them. And for the longest time, I felt like just completely out of place and alienated because I, I got a lot of bullying when I was a kid and I had to learn how to disappear so people wouldn't target me and i just i kind of learned to turn the world into a group of people that were all trying to target me so it'd be better if i just disappeared and blended in (laughs) i feel you man and to set the context for people that um might not be so familiar with you you you've worked as a machinist so you're very hands-on and industrial when you want to be um you um you know you're uh, an illustrator you've always been fascinated with metaphysics and mm-hmm. your own sort of rituals and ceremonies in terms of like chaos magic i guess be the the easiest way to put it um and i thought it was um you know it's it, it's interesting seeing the ways that uh that that small things shape you you know mm-hmm. they they tumble down over time like i i resonated with the fact when you mentioned that part of the contribution um to uh your your gray man persona if you will is uh was your your father telling you at an early age and i'm sure he meant well um but he was just like keep your head down when it comes to bullies and um and you mentioned how that resonated with you and i'm I'm, you know i'm sure he meant well but those things can snowball and and i i think if you just take it at face value it might not even seem like a big deal to you that he would say that, but, but you really have to sit with that. And I I think people are not willing to reapproach parts of their life. You know, like once it's done, it's done. They don't really want to go back and assess like in retrospect, what other lessons might be learned from certain memories and things. And I get it. It's painful sometimes, but I thought that that was poignant as well. Um, because, you know, you, you come across, um, um, I mean, best case scenario, you can't, um, tell, um, you know, what's, what kind of troubles a person had because they've, uh, they've come, you know, they've worked through it, but, um, I would never have been able to tell, you know, some people there's, they might still be socially awkward. And even though it breaks my heart, I could see how they might be bullied when they were younger, like, I wouldn't even be able to tell. So you've come, 
you've come a long way, my friend. Um, but I, w- I want to hear a little more about this gray man persona, because I'm sure a lot of people out there can relate to this. Um, and there's probably plenty of people who are trying to figure out how to break that cycle. Yeah, yeah. So so my gray man idea that I basically came up with was just kind of blending in like you have to study your surroundings. It's, it's a matter of losing your ego if you want to disappear. But I guess to do the opposite, to like actually kind of maybe put yourself out there more as an expression of ego if you want to be seen. But uh, in, in, in my view, it's always been for, for me, I want to disappear. So I suppress in my ind- independent thought in a lot of ways, I, I I don't I don't wear expressive shirts or expressive pants. I don't I don't express any personality beyond the personalities of the people around me. So I kind of study the situation I'm entering. Just find ways to be a chameleon. Like I used to go to metal shows and punk shows all the time. So I kind of figured out what bands like what band shirts I should wear, what kind of ripped pants I should wear. Whether like back then it was like like that junko jeans and stuff like that and <laughs> wallet chains. And I did all of that stuff. So I could just, I could blend in just well enough that nobody would want to talk to me. <laughs> yeah. I, I, like I said, I can relate. Um, I can honestly say I, I was lucky enough to not be bullied, but um, I, you know, I had a lot of uh, depression and anxiety and I've talked about it before. It got to a point where I was young and they just put me on a handful of medications and all it did was kind of um, numb me up, didn't really help anything. And if anything, it detached me a lot more for a while and contributed to the depersonalization I had to work through and really made me socially awkward. So like I was definitely oh, yeah. uh, um, a terrible bully to myself. Uh, so yeah. Um, I can, I can definitely relate to just like, you know, you just, I don't know when you're young and you're trying to learn lessons already. And then there's obstacles, whether they be, you know, traumatic or psychological or, you know, whatever be the case, like it, it definitely muddies the waters. Um, and oh, it gets sure. to, it gets to a point where you're just like, it would be nice to be shown some attention, but I would rather just have no attention than be embarrassed or something like that. Um, but, and you know, there's, there's, uh, they're both tools, right? Like Mm -hmm. being in the spotlight and being a wallflower, essentially. I think that, um, they're both useful, you know, like uh, there's times where you should share your opinion and get in touch with other people. And there's times where you should probably just shut the fuck up. (laughs) Oh yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, it's all, you know, it's being judicious with what you do. I mean, it's like, as I've gotten older, I've kind of dropped the whole gray man thing because it's, it's, it's depressing. Yeah. <laughs> it's really, really depressing to walk through a place and not, not have anybody even want to say hello to you because you just, you're just that bland. You're like a cardboard cutout in the world. And, and it doesn't do a, uh, any service to you because you're no. much more creative and interesting than that. Yeah. And I, I, I'm 40 now and I I don't honestly care what people think about me anymore. <laughs> right. I feel <laughs> like the but last you couple of years, it's like I I don't care. <laughs> and I think that's how you should be. But um you certainly don't want to close yourself off to 
uh, the possibilities yeah. of being open with people, and, which which you certainly haven't. So I think, um, you know, considerations of that are are important. Um, yeah, because um, it's you know even in my personal experience and seeing other people deal with things like this, um, the trick is it's the transition that's the hard mm-hmm. part. It's not like you don't know how to be gregarious uh or a bit charismatic you just generally speaking uh for anybody but um um once you get into that mind state of like oh i just need to disappear right now almost like a self-nihilism which you know can get into like addiction and things just wanting Mm -hmm. the self to be obliterated um um it's hard You, you you can think to yourself okay i gotta this is whatever you want to call it a chemical imbalance is a rough time I'm having. I got to find a way to get to the other side. But then even when people have that epiphany, uh, how actually getting there is a much different story. Um, oh yeah. So what was, um, you talk about this a bit. This is a uh, part of the, the flow of assemblage of disparate parts, but how did you, you know, work through that, especially philosophically, like what were the existential implications what were you you talk about um um some some aspects being very freeing um and uh, but also being very limiting like your time before your wife and kids and you mentioned an interesting uh like ceremonial homage to your childhood and um and some of the things and and i think that that plays a part um in you know illustrating what we're talking about as well would you like to go into that a little bit Oh, the uh, the action figure uh, shrine I basically made for my childhood. Yeah, because yeah. I thought I thought that that was a, a a novel idea. It was like an intimate idea with your with your past, and and I was <laughs> I was expecting to to hear like yeah, and it was very beneficial. And you're like I I just didn't really kind of fell flat. And I'm like that's beautiful though because we're really probing. This is like true yeah. experimentation here, and it sheds light on things a bit. Yeah. And a lot of people don't want to express failures like they don't want to say, I tried this thing. It sounded really interesting, but it just completely just it blew up. It didn't work. And for me, it was uh, like I was really expecting some profound discoveries, like profound self-discovery. And I just what I discovered, well, when I was attempting to make essentially an ancestor shrine to myself, is that I, I I rediscovered how selfish I was as a child. <laughs> <laughs> Which I and, guess, you know, if anything, that yeah. would be the result. And that is poignant. It is. It is. Because basically I wanted to keep my toys away from my son. And my son is, a, he's four year old, four years old, and he was interested. And like some of the toys I was utilizing are actually some of his favorite toys now. And that having that is a much better shrine to my childhood than a like a just like a stuffy magical shrine where I go and pray to it now I just get to watch my son reenact my childhood by playing with my toys in his own distinct way there's yeah there's nothing more magical than that I hate I don't I don't care if I sound cheesy it's like it that's genuine man and um um, I think it really, it stabs at the notion, the, the core Tyler Durden vibe I got from this was you're just, 
you didn't even take shots at people or schools of thought. Um, you kept it classy, but you just expressed your frustration with people uh, feeling an unnecessary need to toe a line of scholasticism and professionalism. And you, you go to lengths to explain, you know, very clearly uh, and very punk rockish, like how detrimental and just uh, pure, purely unuseful um, the idea of being a professional even is. Um, and yeah. you, you said that you consider yourself an enthusiast more than anything. Yeah, yeah, I definitely consider myself an enthusiast. And like the definition of an enthusiast is something that is enthusiastic about something. And I'm enthusiastic about ideas and thoughts and self-expression, self-realization, where if you, if you, you tack the professional tag on something and suddenly you're having to wear a suit, you're wearing the suit of the professional this or that. Like if you're a professional occultist, you have to keep, you have to toe the line. You have to be that kind of occultist you have to be that kind of artist you have to be that kind of writer and i would much rather just find my own avenues and say 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 screw the cloud like i don't need the cloud because i'm talking about my own personal experiences here and things like like magic and philosophy and all of that it's not like i don't want to say it's not real but it's very very it's it's in the self it is very much inside of yourself it's not something that you're expressing into the world in an easily viewable way like there's no way to honestly measure the effectiveness of magic on other things because you don't know what's going into like the processes of like making a person fall in love with you if you're trying to do a love spell or something like that it's yeah. just yeah, absolutely um the uh the heuristic mechanisms of uh of like magic and esotericism i mean they're very useful and interesting but they're just that they're heuristic and they're they're all works in progress um mm -hmm. like i was just thinking about this the other um earlier today um kind of a, a ridiculous anecdote but for like the longest time throughout my childhood like early teens or onwards, I wasn't drinking coffee when I was a little kid, but like when, you know, whenever I'd reheat coffee, I would always pour it into a glass and reheat it. And then I'd put it into the mug because the mugs we had at my house, evidently they would heat up and they wouldn't heat up the coffee. So for a long time, I just thought that all mugs were like that. And mm. until like last year when my girlfriend was like, what are you doing? Why don't you just microwave it in the mug? I'm like, well, the mug's going to get hot. She's like, no, just try it. And I, and it, the mug did not get hot and my coffee was perfect. And I was like, what the hell? I've been living a lie this whole time. What is this extra step? My God. So I'm, I know I'm not crazy. There are mugs out there that will not heat your coffee very well, but they're few and far between. <laughs> and I yeah. think, uh, I think people, <laughs> um, uh, they look at, you know, but that was a basic observation and it, mm -hmm. it I, I wasn't delusional. So so I think people look at like an A to B observation about their spiritual, you know, mindset. And they think like, okay, well that makes sense. So it can't be anything else. Um, yeah. And I don't know, it's just, it's foolish, man. I, um, <laughs> you, uh, you deleted your Twitter, um, which I, I respect. Yeah. And <laughs> yesterday I, um, and I don't engage with this shit. Um, 
because I I've made good friends on Twitter and those are the people I focus on, but uh, I got a little uh, debatey just for like a couple tweets uh, where this guy said um, he said basically that um, psychedelics were um, an equivalent to the apple from the garden of Eden and how uh, he's opened up portals on mushrooms um, and, and that he had a hard time closing and that this is why God forbids it. And I said, uh, and my friend I said, what God are you, whose God are you referring to anyway, first of all? And, and I, I, I said, uh, you know, not any God that I would want to be talking to. I mean, what about, first of all, the fact that, you know, most of uh, the spiritual traditions we have today are um, founded off of um, psychedelic usage in one form or another. And also, what about exposure therapy? Like, how about you maybe um, check out something like Jung's Black Books and then get back to us about bad yeah. trips? But you can't tell that guy any different. And, you know, he's not wrong um, in the sense that psychedelics are a very double-edged sword and you should take. And I even appreciate the allegory of them being, um, you know, uh, a, a fruit from the tree of knowledge. But um, <laughs> the, some people are just so, so... Um, um, it's one thing to feel confident about what you believe. And it's another thing to feel so confident in what you believe that you, you mer like it morphs into this solipsism where automatically everything that everyone else says is utter horseshit. Um, yeah. and that unfortunately that is what debate has boiled down to today. There's no devil's advocate, um, in esotericism, or philosophy, or uh, let alone, like, especially politics, there's no devil's advocate. We can't even say, all right, I think this person's full of shit, but we're here and they're a human being. So let me at least try to understand where they're coming from. Um, instead, it's just a giant dick showing pissing contest um, where everyone's just trying to one up each other uh, instead of actually getting to the bottom of anything. And uh, yeah. It, it it drives me crazy, man. And clearly it drives you crazy too. <laughs> oh, it's it's why I quit Twitter. <laughs> yeah. Because that's like that's just a den of that, where it's people basically taking I'd have to say mostly egocentric pot shots at each other. Yes. And saying, I'm right. Another person comes in and says, No, I'm right. And then they just yell at each other for a while. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And yeah, and see, it's the art of debate is so lost. Um, oh, yeah. Yeah. It's a shame because there used to be through most of human history, as I understand it, debate was like considered an art. It was, you know, they had classes about it. I mean, I'm sure they still do, but the the nuances of it are completely obliterated, essentially. So, but oh, yeah. well, I mean, it kind of comes with how like Twitter, Twitter narrowed down how clearly somebody could state an idea. I mean, yeah, you can have a Twitter chain, but people only ever read the first tweet and you can't have complex ideas in 250 characters. Mm -hmm. Like coming up, I, I grew up with like, the main social media that existed when I grew up were, were blogs and message boards. And a message board, you could go in there and somebody would write like a 10 page thesis and have like real debates with people about different points in the 10 page document that he uploaded on the, on the, uh, the message board. Yeah, message board days were a much more beautiful time. They were, they were. Yeah. And now, now we just have people 
you know, doing, what is it, 270 characters, 250 characters, whatever <laughs> it is. That's not enough. It's not enough. So it just becomes everybody's short with each other. Yeah, no kidding. Um, There's no nuance. And whether it's a direct equivalent or not, I mean, honestly, I I don't think um, uh, Twitter deserves the the only finger but generally no. speaking just like social media and the advents uh, the the way that the places that internet has taken us um it's definitely gotten us more to this point of just everyone thinks everybody's an idiot and no. um and they're all completely convinced like it, it just boggles my mind how these days if you talk to most people about politics or fucking anything their opinion on it i'll bet money on it um, is going to be like, everyone is really dumb because they haven't figured this out yet. Um, it's just, it's become such a tropey character type now and it's so played out and I'm so, um, it's, it's hard for, uh, it's, it's, you know, it's one thing if you're trying to share information that's not the, the tropey character type, but everyone that's just like so smirky because they have the secret and everyone else is such an idiot. Like that seems to be most people today. What the hell is going yeah. on? Yeah, I don't get it. I don't get it. It seems it, it seems like most people want to dehumanize others to make yes. their their points more legitimate. And like it's taken to a really major extreme that sometimes like one of the other things that really got to me about being online was I, I have some I, I know some people that that like to use the word like the term NPC. Mm-hmm. And that's non-player character. It's saying that they there are people out in the world that are non-player characters. And that's that is the most dehumanizing thing you could describe someone as as being in like not even human. They're just like a walking robot. No kidding. Yeah. Martin actually said that uh in the last episode, but he followed it up with the proper context where he said it's it's their they're not exerting enough free will. Like they're not using the muscle of their free will. So they're acting like NPCs, which is a good distinction to make if you're going to use a metaphor, because a lot of people will literally say these people are like just soulless mouth breathers that don't deserve the time of day. And like, everyone's so quick to write off whole swaths of the population. Like, do I think QAnon believers are totally full of shit? Like, and a way off the deep end. Yeah, I sure do. But I have family members that are invested in Q. So I'm going to have debates with them and try and yeah. um, understand where they're coming from. I'm not going to give up on them, though, you know, and I'm not going to think less of yeah. them because of it. Um, I have well, friends who are flat earthers. I don't agree with yeah. that either, but I'm not going to write them off. Well, I mean, even at even at the, the, the base root of every like noxious idea is somebody that's trying to figure out reality exactly somebody that's trying to figure out their world it's a very human thing yeah i'm i'm not a fan of QAnon either i think they have a very dangerous mindset but i understand it i'm not gonna i'm not gonna completely cut people off because they believe in things that i don't agree with because it's amen it's we shouldn't all agree because that if there's an authoritarianism in the world, it's everybody thinking the same thing. Yes. <laughs> so 100%. Yeah. And yeah, I believe the earth is round. I don't think there's some dude high up in the government 
giving out little pieces of information on on 4chan (laughs) (laughs) yeah yeah no kidding um but people are just trying to find answers they don't know they like most people are either most of those people are scared they don't know where to where to look they don't know what to do like maybe they have maybe their financial situation is bad like i've I have been like as, as a factory worker and currently I work at a car dealership and I have been surrounded by just like working class people my entire life. And most of those people just want to make sure that they have food on their table. And like these last 10 years, they've just been looking for the monster that has been keeping food off of their table. Hell yeah, man. Mic drop. I mean, <laughs> honestly, because that's if someone says some crazy shit and I'm like, I don't even know where they're coming from on that. Um, it used to yeah. be easier for me to, I would always try hard and see the human humanity in people. So I like to think that I wasn't, uh, too rough around the edges, but I was definitely more argumentative, you know, mm-hmm. especially being a lot younger. Um, and it, it, it took, um, some, self-reflection um after moments and then slowly over time self-reflection during moments to say like hey where is this actually coming from let's let's set aside what they're actually saying and consider why they're saying it and it's because of things you just said it's it's thoreau's sense of quiet desperation that everyone is suffering from you know it's you know not being able to put the food on the table how are how are people working you know until their eyes bleed uh, but they're still struggling to pay bills. Like it's definitely, um, especially if you were sold on the American dream, I understand why. Um, oh yeah. You're so pissed off because you got sold some bunk shit right there. Uh, doesn't exist. Hardly ever did. We got a small slice of it, um, you know, at a certain point in history and that didn't last long and it didn't even look particularly enjoyable anyway. So, um, yeah, yeah. but point being, um, it, it, I, uh, I don't know. It, 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 people are just looking out for at at a best case scenario when someone has a crazy idea. I mean, it it just stems from wanting to make sure that, you know, the, the world's going to be better off for their children. Yeah. Um, I think people forget things like that. Like, you know, even the Karen soccer mom, that's freaking being like losing her mind over, um, QAnon posts. She still just, you know, just wants her child to grow up and and live a normal life and be okay. And even if they have too much emphasis, like they're a little too worried about the child being abducted by Satanists. Um, yeah, they and still drained of their adrenochrome. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and don't get me wrong, I've uh, I've stated it before. You know, um, human trafficking, and unfortunately, even uh, in the realms of politics, is not. Um, it is is definitely a real thing, but obviously not to these cartoonish like QAnon would be if that was a comic book, I think I'd read the comic book. It sounds cool, but it's it's silly in real life. It doesn't make any sense. <laughs> well, well, I mean, like Grant Morrison edged on that in the Invisibles. He did. Yeah, <laughs> true. Absolutely. I mean, like like uh, the, the kid in the beginning is is essentially kidnapped and put into an academy where. <laughs> where the archons are draining people of their spirit. So it's, you know. 
Well said. Well said indeed. Look at all the fake motherfuckers who are outside. I think I'd rather just stay home today. Home today. Yeah, yeah. Look at all the fake motherfuckers who are outside. For their sake, it's best that I stay home today. Home today. Generation turned out to be so fake, so fake, and it makes me so sad. So sad. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You wanna know the truth to see and perceive it? Then find out who really owns the news you're streaming and seeing. Find who's the keeper of green it needs to increase its views, reaching to you through the screen of your TV. Get beneath the mud if you seek. Dig deep enough, and you will find jewels whose secrets are gleaming. It's quite scary what you'll find buried. You might first come across the curse funds and cause of work from the boss of News Corp and how he earns money off the news source of three continents. Europe's sun is on top there, and the journal of a Wall Street's popping in America. The third one is called the Australian. These are the most popular newspapers people read, and only five other businesses own the rest of the media. They'll warp your mind through the TV, bruh. A TV channel's called the programming for more than one. Niggas born in my generation turned out to be so fake, so fake, and it makes me so sad, so sad. Yeah, yeah. Niggas born in my generation turned out to be so fake, so fake, and it makes me so sad, so sad. Desperate attempt to fill 24 hours of programming. Here's some bullshit that happened somewhere today. We've got some footage here of the bullshit, which began just after three o'clock this afternoon, when residents in this neighborhood were shocked to see this fairly common thing happening. An attractive witness described the event in breathless terms. I went to my window and I was like, "Whoa!" The Natural Born Alchemist podcast is a podcast that covers topics like. Alchemy, shamanism, psychedelics, anarchism, and philosophy. Join Alex, that's me, and a multitude of guests on a quest to discover the nature of reality, of spirit, and of consciousness. Each episode will also introduce you to new music that you might never have heard before. You can find the podcast on most platforms. Simply search for Natural Born Alchemist or go directly to Natural Born Alchemist. Com. There you'll be able to find all the social media links as well. Freedom is in the mind. Musicians experience a lot of frustration with music marketing and promotion. They have no idea how to get their music heard. And they're spending hours sending emails, making phone calls, and hitting up their friends to promote them. With our industry-powered digital marketing platform, we can set up your media plan in minutes. Our team will automatically distribute your music across all the best channels, so you can focus on actually making the music. Submit your music today on our website at mymusicpromoter.com. That's mymusicpromoter.com. Thousands of people are having paranormal experiences with ghosts, demons, shadow people, dogmen, Bigfoot, and more. Their stories need to be told, and they are being told. Dark Waters, the renowned storyteller, invites you to join at imdarkwaters.com. For just a few dollars a month, you can listen to some of the most hair-raising and compelling stories on the planet. You'll have access to real-life stories told by Dark Waters, thousands of hours of content. Their encounters are being told and told by the best at imdarkwaters.com. Listen to stories like The Rabbit Man, The Dogman Encounter in Silas, Alabama, The Man with No Face, 
the other woman. A day ahead of the devil, dogman murder in Hurricane Ida. Even a story of someone trying to kill a dogman. Louisiana water demon stories. Sign up today and become a member at imdarkwaters.com. That's imdarkwaters.com. Listen, as we explore the mysteries of the universe, the unknown, high strangeness, consciousness, and our human potential, Lighting the Void is an eclectic program that strives to ignite the late night with stimulating conversations. Join us on The Fringe FM. How do we get out of this point? Do you think it's just a because we can't focus? I think so many people are focused on trying to. There's an emphasis, whether it be political or philosophical, of waking up the masses, and it seems so counterintuitive because the revolution starts with the self. Um, yeah, yeah, it really, really does. And 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 this is what you you know you strike to the heart of in your work, not just this work, in your work in general, and. Uh, but especially here, and you know, I was wondering if uh, you'd be willing to go into that sentiment a little more and elaborate that. Well, like the whole idea of um, like freedom and the idea of of you know just freeing freeing the masses. It's 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 kind of like a it seems like a fantasy because like most of us don't know how to free ourselves within ourselves. Like there's a lot of doors we close purposely, but I mean, most of that's situational. Like, like I grew up in rural Minnesota and I felt a constant, like a constant pressure to, to not be free. Essentially you have to cow, the, you have to toe the line. You have to, you have to work, you have to go to school. You can't, you can't raise too many questions. Like, the Catholic church in my hometown was the, was like 70% of downtown and everybody was religious. Everybody was working. Like you, you, if you expressed even the, the smallest wrong idea, you, you got tormented. Like I, I was called monkey boy on my school bus because I believed in evolution. Wow. <laughs> yeah. Jesus. Wow. <laughs> and you you find a way to like build a pocket like what that's what you really have to do is even in the worst situations you have to find a way to build a pocket of freedom inside of yourself like people are desperate people are people are scared but like you still have to find that like glowing ember inside of yourself to like really really find freedom and to wake up the masses it's got to be a whole lot of people finding those embers and starting a forest fire you know that's it that's exactly it man because um I don't know. I came to a realization that um, contributed to me leaving uh, The Last American Vagabond some years ago because uh, I just kind of realized that um, it's the best way to put it. Um, just, you know, people are going to see what they want to see, essentially. And no. I in uh, the I don't want to focus on squabbling over the semantics. Um, I, I instead am just going to uh, focus on building um, 
you know, my, my work, creating my work and contributing to uh, a community of like-minded, open-minded people, you know, like fuck the rest of them. Oh yeah, for sure. Like they'll find their way if they're going to. Yeah. And if they don't, and that's on them because I am always willing to help someone um, that needs help, but you have to, particularly when we're uh, psychologically speaking, it's a little different if you could see someone starving, like there's better indicators, but to help someone psychologically or just philosophically, um, they really need to ask and want to help. And so if they're not going to do that, then why in God's name am I going to waste any time trying? Oh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, one of my proudest, one of my proudest accomplishments, when, like about 15 years ago, was I used to work next to like a deep, deep red conservative guy who like he hated the poor, even though he was poor. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I know the type. <laughs> and I would just he worked in the station next to me and I would hound him all day with like liberal socialist ideas <laughs> and philosophy. And I would just hound him all day. He wouldn't talk back to me. I would just talk to him. I would just talk at him all day. <laughs> and after being next to me for like six years, at the end, like he was like emotionally in touch with himself. And he like he used to listen to like right wing pundits on the radio. And he's just like, I can't even I can't even listen to them anymore. Wow. And I'm like, I did my job here. <laughs> yeah. Beautiful. Yeah. You didn't get on a pulpit. Um, you didn't shove it down the guy's throat. You just talked oh. with him and yep. I'm sure he would have told you to shut up, um, in oh, one way or times. another, yeah. many times, <laughs> many times told me to shut up. <laughs> yeah. See, I think that, um, um, yeah, the, the art of debate remains in, uh, in the hearts of those who, uh, who give a shit. Um, yeah. but it's, uh, it's few and far between. Cause I guess I would consider that a debate. It seems like he wasn't, yeah. he wasn't really going back and forth with you, but in his mind, he was just like, you fucking kidding me. Oh, <laughs> like, yeah. Where's this oh, guy yeah. talking about? He's wrestling with it even still. So oh, yeah, that's beautiful. I like that. It's playful it's pr- prankish oh, yeah. and, oh, yeah. uh, and like loving at the same time. Yeah. And I like, I consider that guy one of my best friends at the time. Like I haven't talked to him in a long time, but. I, he made my job better <laughs> just by being there, even though I completely fundamentally disagreed with him at the start. <laughs> uh, I think people could learn a lot from that. Yeah. Um, even cause it is easier to see someone in person um, oh, yeah. and, and, uh, and, and humanize them. Uh, and I think people would do better to remember that uh, there is a person on the other side of that screen that you're talking to. And unfortunately it seems like we've become so desensitized with screen talk that we're just treating more and more people like they're um, not in front of us anyway. Like, dude, I, yeah. I work customer service. I sell medical cannabis and um, it's just so weird. Like you, you ask people, Hey, how you doing today? And they just stare blankly at you. Um, you're like, okay. Yeah. All right. Um, <laughs> what else can I do for you? You know, um, and you just a whole litany of things like that. Um, and yeah, I don't it. People definitely need to get in touch with, um, as Martin put it in uh, last week's episode, 
he called it forethought in the the Jungian perspective, and it was from a a translated from a German word, and uh, the context he put it in, um, and Jung put it in was uh, more so like the the idea of pulling down your blinders and being able instead of just looking straight ahead metaphorically, you have more of a three sixty view where you're approaching things in. A, just I guess a less solipsistic way um yeah and uh I think that more people just that that's kind of um I don't know if there's one word to put on it it's forethought in that context that it seems like the internet has just sort of obliterated um you know from from society um and it's weird, man. I think perhaps I think as an answer to some of the ailments that the internet has showed us, because the internet isn't all evil. I think it's just oh yeah, us, and I mean it's not evil at all inherently. It's a tool, but it's shown us some um an an unfiltered tidal wave of terrible aspects of the human race, and I think we're all just kind of drowning from the feedback of it. And I think in some ways this uh plays a part in the resurgence of like esotericism that we see because I mean, we have witch talk now we have you know soccer moms are into conspiracy theories and they're back into uh, witchcraft and esotericism <laughs> yeah like, we live in an interesting time and hopefully it's for the better uh, i do think like it's useful that people are trying to at least ask more existential questions but um only time will tell if uh if we can uh you know pick up the pace and and, and catch up um, because it seems like we're trying to work through some sort of collective psychological debt um, that yeah. that's just piled up on us. Yeah, well, I, I think the Internet just kind of serves as like a magnifying glass more than anything. Like, it's yeah. just it's like it's like the sun through a magnifying glass, essentially, where it's just like people have refined. It's such a tight little ray now on the Internet. Like, that's basically what conversations are now. And. I don't know. I think a lot of the issues, they stem back even further than even like, like the internet as we know it now. Mm -hmm. I mean, a lot of people just treat coexistence as a transactional experience. It's what can a person do for me? Not what I, not what can I do with this person? It's what can I get from this person? And I think a I think the internet has refined that to such a degree that it's just turned into an argument of what can this person do for me right now to make me feel, feel better about my life right now. Like there it's a dick measuring contest, but like it's people trying to go, is my dick big enough? <laughs> <laughs> well said. Yeah. No, no fucking kidding. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's a strange world out there. And, you know, oh, you just yeah. reminded me um, in that same context of transactional and, and people um, needing so much from certain people. Sometimes you couched your opinions of God uh, and relate in relation to like the family archetypes and mm -hmm. um, how that's kind of affected your thought process. So would you like to go into that a little bit? Well, I mean, I, I would definitely say that my family has, uh, I used to be kind of a head in the clouds kind of guy, <laughs> like, honestly, like they've kept me grounded and it's kind of a, like being a dad and a husband has kind of taken me out of my own, my own little shell 
in a lot of ways that I didn't expect. And you mentioned um, that you have a hard time, not a not an unwillingness or an inability to, but you almost have a hard time relying on something like a God archetype because um, yeah. Yeah, it you it, it almost seems like overwhelming. Would you like to go? Uh, oh yeah, that? yeah, yeah. The idea of that that basically as a child, your parents are God. Like to my son, my, like my wife and I are basically God to my son because we haven't introduced him to any religions of any kind, and like the God archetype is uncomfortable because you're you're putting so much of your own responsibility onto that. Mm-hmm. You're expecting it to to make sure you feel to make you feel good, make you feel safe, make you feel all of this stuff. And it's like as as a mature adult, you shouldn't really be you shouldn't need that because you should be able to provide that. Like interesting. As a, Agreed. Yeah. As a, as a mature adult, you should be able to provide the security that other people might need. It's not that you're you, you shouldn't have to. And in a lot of ways, I, I understand why some people don't have that security. Like if you didn't have a good parental archetype to start with, that's that's almost more damaging than religion. Like if you have a bad mm-hmm. view of God and a bad view of religion, that that messes you up in some way. But if you have a, a, a bad mother and a bad father, you're you're starting you're, you're building out of shit. Yes. <laughs> agreed. <laughs> like. Your, your idea of just how to exist in the world is completely stunted. Um, and yeah, you reminded me um, the, the, the conversation I had uh, with Miguel and Vance of Aeon Byte Gnostic Radio. We were talking about uh, like Gnosticism and Christianity and trying to, um, to just like pinpoint what the hell is going on in the mind of God, even just archetypally speaking. Um, Cause if it is like this sort of demiurge, um, you know, we won't get the, the semantics of um, uh, the, you know, essentially there's, there's a, there's a fair case to be made that um, mythologically speaking, not even Yahweh is like the end all be all creator. And that's sort of the Gnostic approach. Um, but um, you know, through reading the book of Job and other things, um, it, it, I've, I've slowly, and then reading Gnosticism as well. Cause I was, you know, my family, most of my family's Christian. So, and I don't want to entirely discard that, even though um, I think it's a lot more esoteric. It gave me almost over time, I've developed, you know, again, archetypally speaking, um, this almost sympathy for God because Yahweh, even the, the demiurge, um, it seems, you know, just to like, you know, just for a, a fun comparison, um, like uh, in the movie Bruce Almighty with Jim Carrey, he's mm-hmm. he's uh, he's reading his emails of all the prayers and it's just endless. And he just decides, like, I'm just going to say yes, mass answer to all of these, because like, Jesus Christ, that would be overwhelming. Like if <laughs> if there oh, really yeah. if there really is a God, I I feel for you, man, because that sounds like a terrible position that no one would want sounds really stressful and thankless for the most part and um you know it 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 it, it reminds me of like a uh a, a the the archetype of the kitchen owner that i've seen many times the person that just buys a kitchen a restaurant because they think it's going to be easy money and then all of a sudden they become drowning 
in the mm-hmm. chaos of trying to run a business because kitchens in particular are fucking nightmares. But oh, um, yeah. So, yeah, I mean, I totally I I appreciate that sentiment of being like, hey, man, uh, God's got enough on his plate. However, you want to conceptualize yeah. the idea of God, that thing yeah. has got enough on its plate and I could take care of myself. And I know that I can get in touch with those mind states and ways of thinking if I ever need to, which is what yeah. you said as well. Well, yeah, as a as a parent of one, I can tell you that taking care of another life is the most overwhelming experience you could possibly imagine. Just just yeah. taking care of one kid. Imagine, like <laughs> if, if if you view God as the parent of all of us, he's got eight billion people to watch. Yeah. <laughs> and like that's the thing. It's like it's easy to get overwhelmed just as a as as a single person. So yeah, why would you want to add to the the already overwhelming experience of being the protector of all? You know. Um, and what would you say were some of the most pivotal points for you? Um, because we've talked about your your process of using um your your un- unorthodox interests in metaphysics and philosophy, even if many people around you couldn't relate to you. You still found way. And because relating to people is sometimes the bridge that we need to be able to get across, but it's not always possible. Um, so, um, I know I've had to work with this, uh, you know, there's some things that inevitably, whether you want them to or not, doesn't mean you can't share them, but they need to be internalized because no one's going to be able to help you except yourself. Um, yeah. And, uh, and and then that essentially is where people, you know, those are the times that we do need to turn to a higher power, whether it be God or just, you know, you, you, people, you can, you can use your own metrics. I'm not even trying to put metrics on it, but I do think that there, uh, I do, uh, divinity does exist in one form or another. And um, it, yeah, I, it's, it, it's something that, um you know, every person needs to discover for themselves. And, you know, again, not everyone's going to be able to understand it. So how did you, how, how did you internalize those things? Um, You know, I know that's a really broad question and that's going to go over (laughs) swaths, whole swaths of your life, but um, um, you know, like what were the ways do, do, did you feel relief from externalizing ceremony and ritual or was it, meditation or was it the process through your art working what has been the most transformative part of your practice um i would say just kind of um i call it mundane magic where it's kind of taking like just like the everyday and turning it into a more a, a deeper more like a, like transcendent experience like all of that like viewing the world like like basically taking like even the act of brushing your teeth and treating it like it's a ritual instead of just a routine has, has made, made life in general more special, I guess you could say. Like it's not just a singular experience that you're just kind of letting wash over you because everything has a different, has a deeper significance if you allow it to. And the practice of that has basically made everything a lot more rich and I don't know, as far as things that have been the most, like, 
earth shaking for me. It's it's it was my my move out to the West Coast and my son being born like about a decade later. But uh, that was because I had to do like just these fundamental shakeups of my life. And a lot of that was based because of my art. It was because of my art that that stuff happened and taking my art and making it into a ritualized experience and letting just using it as like a, a tool to get everything out that Beautiful. I couldn't. Yeah, I couldn't get it out otherwise because like I, I grew up stoic as hell. Like my dad's super stoic. I I've always been very stoic in person. Like I don't talk to people in general. Like my wife, my wife gets more of the emotional me than anybody else. <laughs> that was a good tie-in. Um, I'm glad you did that because I would have probably forgotten. And I think it's worth a little more elaboration. Um the whole idea of uh, garbage wizardry. You also use the term mm-hmm. kipplemancy in your book from uh, oh. the Philip mm-hmm. K. Dick novel that became Blade Runner. For those that don't know, um, you want? Would you like to take a little bit of time because you uh, and and discuss that a little bit because you mentioned and I totally get what you mean. Like even just something so mundane as the act of brushing your teeth, and and, and it's easy. Uh, it becomes something a little more mystical. Um, uh, but for someone that doesn't uh, isn't used to that kind of line of thinking, that probably sounds pretty foreign. So what could you do yeah. to try and help people um, uh, just like test the waters a little bit? Uh, it, you know, maybe maybe they're interested in what you're saying, but they don't quite know how to bridge the gap. Well, I mean, I, I could even use the example is of like brushing your teeth, like the, the absolute simplest example is brushing your teeth like. I I developed a saying a few years ago where it's the only difference between routine or ritual and routine is intent. And when somebody, when somebody brushes their teeth, the intention is to clean your teeth. So that's basically like a cleansing ritual. It's, It's ritualistic cleansing that you do twice a day. You're not just cleansing your teeth of plaque. You're, 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 purifying a part of your body in a ritualistic fashion. Take it easy, Jordan Peterson. Do you want me to clean my room too? <laughs> no, I'm just joking. It's I, I love it. I mean, because it's eloquent and I completely agree. Um, um, yeah. And, you know, life, I, the, the, you know, Thoreau's quiet desperation of the, the individual, it's like, we're all waiting or even just searching um, for meaning in our lives. But I think mm-hmm. the, the, the key, because truths often are simple, uh, it's the practice of them that's the hard part. And I think that the key yeah. is infusing life with that meaning. You have to give it that meaning, you know. And yeah. it starts. It starts with fucking cleaning your room and brushing your teeth, man. Like everything has its place. And um, sometimes I've noticed. I bet you can agree with this. Um, the act of doing something like ceremony and ritual is perhaps more impactful and important than what you're doing it for um because it's laying a, a contextual framework in your psyche sometimes we're so broken because not because we don't understand that we are but because we don't know the processes of how to go about remedying all this and and sometimes laying the context 
is, you know, the only thing you can do. You have to be patient. The answers aren't going to come immediately. What you need to do is put one foot in front of the other. You know what I mean? Yeah. You need a strong foundation. Yeah. Like, like ritualizing things is, is it's building a strong spiritual foundation for yourself. Like you're not going to be able to put a structure on it without that. Yeah. And you know, I just am reminded of the, um, the, the classical, um, I don't even know what you'd call it. Just like, um, the Buddhist consideration of, um, you eat slowly, you know, you, you Mm -hmm. eat, you know, the, the, the ceremony and ritual of eating is you take a bite, you feel the textures, the flavors, uh, like a, I guess like a connoisseur without the pretentiousness. Right. And like you, you enjoy every single bit and you use that bit every moment of your meal to reflect on and, and, and be present, you know, because people just scarf their food down. It's so delicious. We got to get it all down at once. Um, And that, I mean, it's it's a pretty basic metaphor that I think plays out fairly well. Like you do that too quickly. You're going to be bloated. Your stomach's going to hurt. Um, yeah. So like, yeah. And, and, and that even kind of ties us back into ethno methodology, the idea that like not everything is standardized and you really have to step back and use some more forethought in your surroundings, your existential surroundings to understand, you know, the specificity of the things that you need in your life. Yeah. Um, and I guess that's kind of what garbage wizardry is all about, right? It's 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 looking at the mundane specificity of your life and flipping it on its head. Yeah, it's it's basically making the most of even the littlest of things. You know, it's everything has some sort of potential to be useful or important. It's, it's just a matter of context and a matter of how, like how you're viewing the world around you. Um, well, my friend, <laughs> we're, uh, we're getting closer to the end here. Um, but All right. I, I don't want to wrap it up yet. Um, what, what else would you like to share with us? We've gone through a lot of radical self-transformation and I don't know, um, in the vein of uh, last week's episode, again, having a unfiltered look at yourself, um, which is, it, I, I was, I was really um, grateful as a reader for how um, forthright you were able to be about uh, some of the things in your life in this work. And um, is there anything you'd like to share with people in terms of uh, what's the best way to put this? Like sometimes when you're in this position where um, self-transformation needs to be done, you need to just sort of jump off the metaphorical cliff, like stop hanging on and, and investigate new modalities of, of perception and existence. And, and you, you'll probably be surprised, you know, what you'll find. Um, do you have any, any final closing comments for people? Cause this is like, you know, this is the the classic esoteric trope. Um, how do we bridge the gap between um, who we are now and who we want to be? Well, I mean, for me, like for as far as that's concerned, I, I think like the best tip or the best thing that I've had in my life is a lot of time to myself. 
And I think that is a thing that a lot of people have removed from their lives is, is time to reflect on yourself by being by yourself. Like you don't have the phone on and you don't have it near you. You don't have a big group of friends that you're sharing all of your ideas with. You live with your own idea and you try to figure it out on your own for a while. And that's where a lot of these thoughts and a lot of these ideas came from for me. And it's important. Being alone is really, really important. Yeah, for sure. I, um, I've always enjoyed my solitude. Um, yeah. And I, I have a hard time wrapping my head around people who constantly need to be stimulated. Um, yeah. At, at a certain point, if I've just been around people nonstop and I've just had, you know, TV or podcast or whatever on in the background nonstop, it gets to a point where I'm like, I need utter silence for a little bit. I need to just, yeah. you know, essentially like a meditation break, even if I'm not closing my eyes and I'm just sitting here. Um, and yeah, I think, uh, you know, that's where probably some of the most um, groundbreaking historical, um, you know, self-transformations have come from just the act of stillness, you know, who, what kind of great minds have been um, um, born, you know, reborn uh, just because someone was able to stop screaming and wailing and, and, and just sit and contemplate probably a lot. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, I also understand the idea of the constant stimulation. Like it's hard to shut it off now. Like we've, we've made it hard on ourselves to shut mm -hmm. that off. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and I mean, it's a lot of people are, they're kind of scared to see the parts of themselves that, that exist when other people aren't around. That's a good point. Yeah. People don't even know what they would be like because they've been running from it. Yeah. And I mean, I don't even know if it's necessarily running as much as it's just kind of like putting it in a little box and not looking at the box. Yeah, true. Yeah. Well said. Well said. And, and like, I even had that to myself. Like I, when I got started in like exploring esotericism, exploring like existential philosophy, exploring magic, I'd recently gotten out of a really bad relationship and I kind of hold myself up in my house for almost two years where all I did was I just read. I didn't have any friends. I saw my parents like once a week, I was working 70 hours a week at a factory. Damn. And I just really, really isolated myself. And this was a time I didn't even have, like, this was a time before cell phones were really big. Like I had a home phone and I didn't even have an internet connection. And I was just in a house in the middle of the woods and it fundamentally changed how I looked at myself. And I looked at the world around me. I'm not suggesting that other people need to separate themselves from the world for two years. And I'm not like, we don't all need to be thorough. <laughs> no doubt but there is something to that i went through a similar phase um and um i think you know if um if you feel don't don't overdo it um don't yeah. become a complete hermit but i think if you feel the need um to dive a little inward be a little give a little less um output and a little more introspection uh, I am really thankful, as I'm sure you are as well, for the insight that I got through my uh, my time alone. Um, 
I'm glad that it didn't go on because I feel like that's that's kind of the problem is the time alone yeah. is the useful is useful. But how do you again call back to what we were talking about earlier transitions in life? How do you transition into uh, that state of contemplation into suddenly being heavily interactive? And that can be a rough transition. Um, oh, for but, sure. <laughs> but but it's very. Um, if anyone needs. Uh, a, a, a slice of that that um, inner quietness. Um, I do recommend doing it uh, because it, it 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 you know those experiences um, uh, help shape me into who I am, and I wouldn't be able to do that again. You know, there's I think it's interesting that we come across times in our lives where all of a sudden, and I've heard some people call it dead time in one way or another, where you know we might be doing things, we're working and whatnot, but in terms of our overall picture. We're not sure what's going on. We'll feel a little lost um, and and so forth. But and that is a that's definitely a difficult place to be in. But if you're able to just sit with it, there's something freeing about it where all of a sudden this is square one. What am I going to build from here? And then and that was the time in my life where I was just malleable enough from uh, just, you know, uh, detrimental things. I'd gotten to this point where um, I needed to incubate, you know, go into that cocoon. I guess that's the easiest way to put it. If you need a little bit of a cocoon, don't be afraid of it, but don't get lost in there. Right. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Like my, my two years was way too long. <laughs> yeah. I feel you. Mine was too long too. Yeah. There was, you know, like it was but, excessive. It was excessive. If anything, maybe go on like, what some people do, like go on a meditation retreat, do some silence yeah. for like a week. Uh, everyone yeah. would would uh, would get some use out of that. Yeah, hell, go for a hike. Find yeah, find a just, remote location and just go for a go for a damn hike. Or hey, how about <laughs> brush your teeth? Right? Yeah, brush your teeth. <laughs> no, for real though. Um, I I I think the biggest challenge, if there's homework for any listeners, is you know trying to find. Um, some mysticism in the mundane, because I promise you it's there. Um, oh, it's yeah. Just, it's just a matter of engaging with it. Yeah. And you you will be better off for it. Like, you can't just look at life as like this, 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 like grungy film over the window, because like the, the brushing your teeth, the your your drive to work, that isn't the grunge on the window. It's still part of the window. It's still what's on the other side of the window. You're looking out at the world. It's just, you got to stop treating like the parts of your life that you don't like as the bad part of life. Amen, it's all just dude. life. It's all just life. Yeah. We're all, and we're all still breathing. If you're listening to this, we're all still breathing. So exactly. Uh, yeah. That's something to be thankful for. Um, Eric Millar, what, uh, what else do you have coming down the pipeline, man? Do you have any, um, any, uh, you know, like teasers that you want to share with people, any work that you're working on? Well, let's see. Like right now, I'm uh, I'm still doing a lot of work with We the Hollowed at nice. WeTheHollowed.org. I have a I have a weekly comic on there right now. Oh, no kidding! Okay, hell yeah! Put yeah, that in the show. Uh, yeah, it's like a uh, it's an absurdist two page comic every week about a fly, basically. Ooh, I'm I'm in. Right on. <laughs> I like. What I mean, I'm going. I'm trying to be funny, but I don't know how much I'm pulling that off. But uh, because you can't be funny when you're trying to be funny, to be honest. Yeah, you just gotta <laughs> you just gotta let it flow. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 
And uh, I have a book I'm working on right now. And uh, <laughs> the, the title that I'm working with right now, I'm calling it the Feck Up Manifest- Manifesto. <laughs> oh, I like that. I like that a lot. Um, and it's kind of, it's kind of like, it's a lot like uh, an assemblage of disparate parts where I'm trying to refine ideas to basically a paragraph. And it's just these bullet points of like, I've, I've considered myself a fuck up for a real long time because like, I'm, I'm not a professional guy. I, I get like entry level jobs. I'm, I'm a high school dropout. I dropped out at 17, got my, my GED. But like, for the most part, if you were to ask somebody what the definition of a fuck up is, it's me. <laughs> and, <laughs> and I want to recontextualize that. And the idea of being that isn't a bad thing. Like wow. we all, we're all fuck ups. <laughs> Dude. Yeah. Yeah. You said uh, when we weren't recording, you're like, if this uh, if if this recent work was me as Tyler Durden in a good mood, then the next one is going to be very cranky Tyler Durden. <laughs> it, it very much is. It very much is. It's 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 exploring a lot of my thoughts on professionalism and the idea of the 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 pursuit of money and how much I think the pursuit of money and the pursuit of career perverts people in ways that they don't realize and like all the good that came from my life was avoiding the pursuit of titles of careers of just more money than i need amen man yeah be a fuck up it's fine you're gonna be okay (laughs) be you yeah Yeah. don't don't judge your your standards based on other people's um yeah and you know, I um, if if you haven't watched Fight Club in a while, go back and watch that now. Um, I tell you, <laughs> like the, <laughs> the the whole idea of um this radical self transformation and not only the good it can do, but the terrible rabbit hole you can fall down um if you're being like egoic and too self serving, etc. Yeah. Uh, Fight Fight Club really is a an a, a psychologically detailed movie. Um, and oh yeah. It has a lot to say about our the way we contextualize the world and especially our uh, our, our shadow complex. So, um, yeah. honestly, I'm looking for. Honestly, I would recommend the book more. The, yeah, the, the Chuck the Chuck Palahniuk book, the novel that it's based on. It goes even deeper. It goes even harder. Um, so. see, that is one um that i still have never read i'm probably i'm gonna especially if you recommend it i'm gonna have to yeah, finally i recommend it this day. i recommend it they made sequel comic books of that i There's have the, heard of that that's pretty dope yeah they're not, bad. They're not a, bad a pretty <laughs> interesting guy i'd buy oh, him yeah. a drink oh um, for sure for sure but i'll tell you what man um i i can't make any guarantees about finishing because i have no idea but by the time we have a next conversation, I'll at least be diving into the Fight Club book a little bit. All right. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Because um, that's one that's always been on my list and yeah. just like never, never bothered to. So if you recommend it, I'm going to do it. Um, oh, yeah. Yeah. If you like the movie, <laughs> if you like the movie, go for the book. I mean, I haven't read it in probably about 10 years myself, 
but I'm I'm due for a re uh, a, a a redo on that one. I got to read that one again. Yeah, it's one of the things I've been doing recently, which is kind of why I'm like, yeah, I should read that. Is I've been going back to, um, I guess following nostalgia a little bit, going back to some of the older things that inspired me. Um, like uh, uh, I, I rewatched Fight Club not terribly long ago, and and other things, old horror movies I like, and it's always fun. Because I, I think as a final cherry on top, this really does play into um, the things that we've talked about and the things you've written about. Um, it's it's useful and interesting to try and bridge the gap between who you are now and who you've been, because I think that that will help contextualize uh, who you're going to be. You know? Oh, yeah. And, yeah. You, you have to you have to inspect the parts that built you like you're made up of a lot of parts and you need to reevaluate that sometimes. Yeah. And sometimes, you know, we're so deeply influenced by things on such an innate level that we don't even realize in what ways we're influenced until we go back and reassess it. And then all of a sudden it's like, oh, wow, no wonder I was drawn to that. Um, So so go and participate in some garbage wizardry, some (laughs) Kipplemancy folks out there. Um, Do your due diligence and yeah, try and get in touch with the, the mystical side of the mundane. Um, Eric Millar of Outlet Press and We the Hallowed. That's a dot org, right? Or is that a dot com? It's a dot org. That's dot right. Org. Okay. Um, a- anything else you'd like to share with people? Any works uh, they should go check out? Um, yeah, I'd say just check out uh, the No Gods But My Own trilogy of books or the newsletter. Um, check out my old uh, omnibus of all my comics. So I go, I, I dive pretty deep in that stuff too. Um, beyond that, no, I think we've pretty well covered it. <laughs> right on buddy. Well, it's been a genuine pleasure as always. And I look forward oh, yeah. to our next discussion. Oh, for sure. For sure. All right. Don't forget everybody. Uh, Eric Millar of outlet press. Uh, you've been listening to black hoodie alchemy here on the fringe FM. Y'all take it easy out there. Happy holiday season if you're listening to this as it releases, and we'll see you next week. Peace. Self-incarceration right in these bars, down how much fight my heart is left. No longer see the light from the spark, my pen been lying in the dark, no longer replying any thought. I grab it, it's dying to be forced, a diamond of sorts, see it as my last resort. Maybe one day we'll travel and stay at resorts. See, I roll with a chosen few, cause only so many people can have your back when these moments through. Shattered dreams left a broken view, careful riding next to the cycle of life, cause the spokes protrude. Spitting food for thought they won't consume, what's one supposed to do? Give a cure to the masses, but the folks immune. A dope rapper's a dime a dozen, they not abundant. It's hard to stick out, so instead you might eye a puppet. It'd be the reason why you find a bucket throwing guts. I'm spitting the realness in my saliva, soak it up. Throw my ills over this ghetto guitar, it's still hip-hop. No heavy metal involved. I'm up stressing the cause, my dreams are dependent on songs. An unheard voice, the bars, they just echo the halls. Throw my ills over this ghetto guitar, it's still hip-hop. No heavy metal involved. I'm up stressing the cause, my dreams are dependent on songs, an unheard voice, the bars, they just echo the halls. I'm disgruntled, just mumble under my breath, 
tunnel vision, a tunnel spinning, belittle a son of a bitch coming to grips. Under equipped, can stomach the shit, done with the vents. Contradictory jump in the fence. I wanna put my fam in the house, dance with the spouse. The look on my baby girl, and she glances about. Y'all looking sour like you took a jab in your mouth. Swipe you with your lead roll, I be the protagonist now. I got a buzz that's little to none. You figure I'm done? I'm far too stubborn to drop the pen and just run. I fight the losing battle as long as a few of you look bedazzled and took the time out in order to push the album. And many things to a lot of people. Donnie and I, we had to drop the sequel. Rebuttal of common evil, common dear sentences. I should have put a comma here, but ambition is to push your oxygen. I'm out of it. Throw my ills over this ghetto guitar, it's still hip hop. No heavy metal involved. I'm up stressing the cars. My dreams are dependent on songs. An unheard voice, the bars, they just echo the hall. 